On this episode of the Unconventional Podcast, I sit down with Ben Seal, a friend of mine who also happens to be part of the same neurodiverse world that I am. A couple of years ago, Ben and his family's world was rocked by the birth of their third child, Reggie, an incredible young man who just happens to have Down syndrome. Ben, over the last couple of years, has been documenting Reggie's story over on TikTok and has amassed over 60,000 followers just by being, well, just by being him. Listen to this episode with an open mind as Ben takes us through his life, the trials and tribulations of young Ben, and also what it's like to live with a child with Down syndrome. This is not only the longest episode we've ever recorded, but quite possibly the most honest. Ben has never been this open about his life on any podcast before. I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. Morning, Ben. Morning. How are you? All good, my friend. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Thank you, mate. Okay. You, you're trying to get your, uh, your your angles. Yeah, get me angles. Get 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 the good side of me and make sure that my bed's not in there because I've tucked everything <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> uh, make sure you've got your banner in the background. Is what well, that one there? Yeah. Yeah. Quality, quality is banner. That look all right. And, and, thing is, is uh, I'm in the middle of changing over my broadband, and they decided to cut it off late last night to come and set up the new one today. So I'm running off my phone. Oh, you're fine, mate. You're fine. Once I edit it all down and that, it'll be fine. Perfect. So, uh, How you doing? Are you right? I'm very well, mate. Very well. How's business? It's, oh, mate, it's really picked up. Like last year was uh, kind of a big, tough slog trying to get it recognised in a brand new area. Yeah. Um, and in December, I had my best month, like five new listings come on in December. Wow. So I started to panic as it was starting to drip through, but not massive volumes. And I was thinking next year is just going to be a massive slog coming back in January, having yeah. to, you know, carry on work. And, and it just kind of all fell into place in December. Yeah. And naturally, when you get properties on, people want to view them, but haven't put their properties on. So it opens up more opportunities for me to then, you know, yeah. you want this property. Can I get yours on? It would make the process a bit easier, you know, and it's just like a big spider web. Yeah. Um, so things are starting to really turn now, which is good. Really, really good. Because um, so obviously be... the housing market... I didn't know if you'd be worried because of the interest rates and stuff like that, but people still seem to be selling. People are still selling. People are still buying. Yeah, we've lost a lot of buyers. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have, because some people were, you know, first time buyers that are already maxed out to just get like a two or three bedroom house with these interest rates. They've had to drop right out and can't get anything that's suitable for them. So, yeah, we did lose a lot of, a lot of buyers. Yeah. Um you know, the market from like 500 grand upwards is completely fine. A lot of them are cash buyers with yeah. no mortgage. So, you know, a lot of it, that it doesn't affect them. Um, so that side of the market's still going good. But it's like from mm. from kind of the 450 below, you did see a lot. And especially from 350 below, mm. really, really dropped out. Mm. Things are starting to stabilise, but the rates are still. Yeah. Yeah. They are what they are, and hopefully That's they'll it. start to come down. That's it, mate. Um, well, thank you for coming on. Yep. Um, it's been a while since uh, since we, we first started talking about this ages ago, and obviously your schedule, my schedule, it's taken us a while to make it happen. So I appreciate <laughs> you coming on. How was your <laughs> Christmas, by the way? 
Oh, it was amazing, mate. Just what we needed, really. You know, as as I said, like the back end of the year really did start to get like oh, yeah. like really dreary. And then I think we all needed it that break um, and all together. And it was the first year where it was just us. Usually we're either at someone's house, not very often. Usually it's people around our house, and we'll always have someone there. Like last year, it was all very last minute. We invited one. Of the, one of the single mums up at the school rounds because she was going to be alone. So we had her and I said this year, I want it to just be us. And it was the most perfect thing. We all needed it, all of us just together. Um, oh, it's amazing. Awesome. It was amazing. And then all that finished. And then six days later, it's the twins birthday, New Year's Eve. So uh, it, <laughs> the excitement <laughs> levels were were off the scale, right. um, but it was great to see. It was good, mate. Lovely. We, we had, um, we don't ever go big. We had like yeah. uh, Lindsay's parents round and and her nan, bless her, she's still with us, still alive and kicking, going strong at ninety. Nice. Um, but um, yeah, the, the kids, it's just chaos in it. And I mean, Josh, like you, Josh's birthday was on the third of Jan, mm. so he for him everything's condensed into that two weeks. Yep. Um, and we're building up to it from like November. I mean, he's on he's on he's on day watch from like the end of October. How many days now, Dad? Uh, yeah, still about sixty, states? mate. Um, so it, it is a bit chaotic, and I ain't gonna lie, I do quite like that being over, and then yeah, the yeah. The, the the and that's just my brain and how it works. I like. Well, I mean, we took we never do normally. We took our decorations down on the twenty eighth because Linz and I had had them up since the first, last week in November. And we're looking at the house going, this is a shithole. Mm. There's toys mm. everywhere. There's yeah. car- And we, yeah. we keep a really nice house normally. Lindsay's very house proud. And yep. we just looked and went, we've got to sort this. Yeah. And the decorations it. came down. <laughs> That's um, it. We, we put ours up late this year. Usually we're November. But my birthday's the 7th of December. And I finally right. convinced Leanne to get a real tree. And I said, look, we, we can't be putting up a real tree in November. Ah. Um, so we've we got we got one delivered about a week after so we was very late putting it up this year but again we got it down in in time for the kids birthdays and you know we i say we're lucky but it's it's whatever way you look at it because i'm on the 7th of december the twins are new year's eve leanne's the 4th of january so within an exact four week period that's four birthdays and christmas done so Yeah. yeah it's a very expensive time of the year but it really frees us up for the rest of the year. You know, yeah, Reggie's yeah, birthday's yeah. not till October, so we don't really have to worry too much about any other birthdays. From no, there. that's uh, it. Other than hand- the friends and whatever. But... Exactly, exactly. And, you know, Henry's the same. He does the countdown, you yeah. know, and it starts from very early. And it was literally the 1st of December. And he was like, how long till my next birthday? I'm like... <laughs> Cautiously, I said 364 days away, hoping that he wouldn't wake up each day with knocking it down. But he's kind of forgot about that for now. I think the excitement of going back to school kind of um, took over that. Yeah. Um, So we're not having a yearly countdown. Mate, I want to I want to get on to the twins. I obviously want to get on to Reggie and and the story there because to be honest, I don't think we're. This is one of those podcasts where I think we could do a part one and part two. Yeah. Um, because I think there's so much to to talk about. Um, but before we kind of tell the story and and I really want to get into the the story since Reggie's birth and 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 your journey on that because 
we've known each other a while now and I've seen you transition from different social media platforms and then obviously we want to come on to the TikTok and obviously yep. everything that's kicking off on there with with yourself and how successful that's been but before that I know there's a story of Ben mm. and and the the you growing up and and mm. and and kind of your your journey through childhood teenage how you know how you met your lovely wife and then the kids come in so tell us a little bit about you and, and let's build up to that point where we start yep. talking about Reggie and the kids yeah yeah of course of course so um you know grew up around the Medway area so pretty close to yourself Andy yeah. um you know a, a Medway lad born in the old All Saints hospital that's no longer there got got demolished um growing up it, it, it very good I was very into a lot of different things and I was kind of the person who wanted to be involved because my friends were involved so I'd done a lot of jumping from this to that you know one one month I wanted to be a football player um the next month I wanted to play ice hockey so I got all the gear for ice hockey you know the next month it'd be something else um but one thing that always stuck with me was my music journey um you know, through everything that I went through, I, I was always writing from a very young age, um, you know, whether it's just songs, I can't, can't sing, but, you know, I, I like <laughs> the whole kind of putting things together in a rhyming kind of scheme and telling my story through that. And that kind of really evolved. This was back in the time when pirate radio was all really live and kicking, drum and bass jungle scene. And I really, really got into that. And, um, you know, started writing to drum and bass. And I started my journey off, everyone kind of knew me as a different name, as kind of an MC in the area. Um, and I kind of really took, you know, stopped playing with the football and everything like that and discovered a whole new world in music, which was fantastic. Um, but then you kind of get to an age where you start going out to these clubs and everything like that. And um, I think kind of early 20s, started losing my way a little bit you know and I was out and I could go out and I wouldn't come home for three days and you know <laughs> I'd get home and there would be like a, a very strong face looking at me as soon as the doors open and um, you know as time went on I kind of got really 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 caught up into it and yeah I lost my way big time drank a lot was into drugs and things like that um you know, and it wasn't until I met Leanne that things kind of started to mm. kind of paint a picture of what my life could be if I was to take a different journey. Mm. Um, you know, but it still took a few years. I wasn't com completely committed and ready to come out of that lifestyle. To be honest, I was enjoying myself. I knew it wasn't any good for me, but I was having fun at yeah. the same time. Um so, yeah, we, I got myself into that um, and, and it wasn't until we started really talking about kids um, and everything like that, that I kind of thought this lifestyle is nowhere. Yeah. You can't you can't go from this lifestyle and carry that one on and mm. go into this lifestyle. Um, so things got a little bit mucky for me and, um, you know, and then I and then. It wasn't planned. We, 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 Leanne found out that she was pregnant and that was really the massive wake up call for me. And it was like, I can either be a dad or one day I could get found in a ditch. 
Mm. Um, or overdosed in a bedroom or something like that. And then the kids are going to grow up without a father. Leanne's going to grow up without a husband. Um, and my family grew up without a brother, uh, mm. you know, a son, all that sort of thing. So the cogs started to tr- turn and everything. And um, I really thought, right, now's the time to really get myself on track. Um, mm. So before before the kids come along, it was very rough you know, withdrawals, everything like that. And I needed to get away. I needed to clear my head. So it's decided that I was going to go to Manchester. Uh, I've got family up there and think, right, instead of going to kind of a detox clinic Mm. or anything like that, we'll see how we can do this without that and take myself away from all of the situations. So I ended up doing that and it was fantastic. Absolutely Mm. loved it. Um, You know, met some really good people up there. Um, but after a bit of time, I started getting isolated and, you know, as an ex-addict, you start getting cravings and things like that. Um, and it was very kind of spare at the moment stuff that I was I was up here and went right down there. And all of a sudden, on my way home from work, I was like, I can't do this. I really can't do this. You know, thoughts through my head. I'm going to be a failure. I'm, I can't be a dad. You know, every, every, as soon as I announced that we was pregnant, everyone's like, can't imagine you being a dad Ben mm. um and and all things like that were kind of playing on my head and it was kind of from leaving work at five to by seven by seven o'clock I was around the shops but getting tablets I had some I had some kind of prescribed really strong stuff but I thought right there's probably not enough there and I thought Do you know what I'm gonna go and get some tablets so I, they let me buy like four packs of paracetamol I had these prescribed tablets there and I was like, this is it. And I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to be a failure. If I go now, the kids are never going to know me. So they're going to know no different. Um, and they're not going to kind of see what potentially my life could be in a disastrous kind of way. Mm. Uh, um, so the decision was made within two hours. And um, I was quite fortunate, actually, because the next door neighbor was a great, great chap. Um, and we both had open door policies, really. Mm. You know, it was like we both lived alone, both single men, one bed flats each next door to each other. And we always checked on each other, mm. you know, made cups of teas in the mornings or bacon sarnies. And um, he had the music on. Um, and it was only because it was a song that he really, really liked. And he, he wanted to come around and tell me how much he liked that song. Mm. And he walked in and um, he said he just saw me on the sofa, slumped back. Um, tablets everywhere and the first thing he done was was call for an ambulance for me um, and kind of you know I, I remember him shaking me slapping me and it kind of felt like a dream mode mm. um, you know I knew it was happening but kind of my reactions I couldn't give him a reaction that I wanted um, I just wanted him to leave me alone and let, let me kind of drift off kind of mm. thing uh, and so I didn't really speak or anything he said um, and the ambulance come and um, again, I, I I felt like I was alone um, up there when really I had so many people and plus my family. And I really kind of realised that it's not until you're actually in that hospital bed recovering that you realise how precious life is mm. and how much you have actually got to live for and how many people are actually there. Mm. Um, and if I actually spoke out, how many people would have been there? Because... As soon as I was ready to, I, I texted my boss and I said, look, this is like 12 o'clock at night by this time. And I said, look, I'm in hospital. Is everything OK? 
well, look, I've done something a bit silly. She's got seven kids, you know. She dropped mm. everything that late at night, and she was up at my hospital bedside straight away. And straight away, I was just like, wow, okay. Like, mm. you know, people really care. I've mm. not known this lady for that long, you know, six months. Yeah. And she at my bedside up at the hospital. Um, you know, and at this stage, I wasn't really talking too much with my mum uh, because of past things that mm. I'd done by being on drink and drugs. Um, and she said, you need to tell her she's your mum. She's your mum. So, you know, by mm. one o'clock, I've texted my mum. Um She's like really worried, of course. Uh, my aunties live around there. Do you want your aunties to come see? No, not right now. Maybe tomorrow. Next thing I know, I've woken up in the hospital bed that next morning and my mum's there. She's drove up from Medway in the middle of the night um, and she wow. was at my bedside. Um, she stayed there with me until I recovered. You know, they, they gave me a load of stuff, pumped me out. I was throwing up for a good couple of days in the hospital and she sat there the whole time, deserted everything. Um and then took me took me back to my flat, cleaned it all for me, um, you know, and, and 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 went and done a big shop and everything like that. And then she went off on her way, and I was just like, I have this this support, mm. Mm. this amazing support, and I'm all the way up here feeling alone and isolated, missing family, missing friends, missing scans, things like that. Mm. And by the next week, I was packed up and left and come back, mm. um, you know, and then we had the kids. We had the mm. twins, me, me and Leanne. We were living in Dartford at the time um, because when we did meet, I was Chatham, as I said. She was Greenwich. I didn't want to go London. She didn't want to go Chatham. So we met in the middle and that happened to be Dartford. Mm. Um, and then, let me um, let me break that down, because yeah, this the, that story, this elements of that I know and elements of that I, I didn't know. Mm. Um, and firstly, your mum, I, I assume your mum, is your mum still with us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yep. Didn't want to put my foot in it just in no. case. <laughs> um, firstly, I, I want to say before we kind of dissect what you've just said, I think your mum would be and probably is, I'm sure she is immensely proud of what you've now achieved. Um, because a lot of what people see of you is Ben who's made a success of himself. He's got free health, free, healthy children. He talk, he, he, he talks about his children all the time and how much he loves them and Leanne as well. And a lot of people that see that won't, will be shocked by what you've just said. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. So let me take you back right to the start of that conversation where you talked about the, the life that you'd got yourself into in your, your teens, your early twenties, a lot of people that have got neurodiverse children, and, and I'm going to be exploring this in myself over the next year, they often then question, okay, where does that come from? Because it, it comes from somewhere, autism, ADHD, all those things, it comes from somewhere. And I often look at people that, like yourself, that perhaps went through that at younger life to the point where they couldn't break it. It was something they just felt they had to do, whether it was that they were pleasing other people or they just... And I wonder what drove that? It, it, do you know what drove you to do those things and, and not take a different path? What was it in you that made you think, I've, I just want to do that? Do you know what? I I was the sort of person, I'm, I'm very easy, easily influenced. If my friend 
friends were doing it and they were having a laugh with a smile on their face or it was making someone laugh or it was giving them the 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 main stage attention all eyes on them i wanted to do it um you know and the, the whole music thing everyone was doing it at the time many people dropped off um but i, I wanted to do it like it, that was the thing that kept me focused um music was a massive part of me and it kept me massively focused but the thing with the drum and bass scene is that you know you are traveling a lot you are you can be doing sets at four five six in the morning and if you are drinking a lot you know i was thinking oh, i need something to sober me up a little bit because those drugs really do take over the alcohol and sober you up and it doesn't give you straight thinking mm. but you, you were a lot more clearer um, and it really did help with my kind of stage presence as well yeah. but i kind of used it as a you know a, a mechanism to kind of deal with the anxiety um which i now believe which i never noticed before mm. um you know it was something that made me feel untouchable and i could be up in front of sometimes only 20 people in a club but sometimes i could be at a festival in front of 2000 people um up on the stage and that lifestyle took away all the fear it mm. took away absolutely everything and i enjoyed myself while i was out on stage and i didn't worry about myself but when you are out performing doing um like a set on a thursday night a friday night a saturday a sunday some tuesdays at a local venue and you're doing four o'clock in the morning slots and you're and then the next day you're doing a nine o'clock at night slot but then you've got pirate radio at two in the morning you need something to keep you going as yeah. well something to keep you alert so it wasn't just kind of you know i went from you know the first the first drugs that i were taking were at 14 taking ecstasy pills mm. um you know and then by time you know i kind of quickly realized that that's not that they're quite hard intense stuff and you can tell by the look on your face you know mm. there could be all sorts of telltale signs lots of pictures are going on and videos and everything and you kind of look at yourself and think right that's not how i want to be looking in front of all these people so you try something else you try some cocaine um you know and because you can really level yourself out with that take a little yeah. line here or a big line there and that yeah you know you, you can really hold it together a lot more and cover yeah. it up yeah. and the more that you're doing this the more it's gripping your soul the yeah. more it's taking hold and it and you're not using it for fun anymore you're not using it to have fun you're not using it to take away the anxiety you're using it because you're craving it yeah uh, you know and some would days, you say that you were an addict yeah oh yeah massively yeah. massively yeah um yeah cocaine was a really big um addiction for me in my 20s um you know and i lost I lost a lot of family, which I have now been able to rebuild. Some relationships are never going to be the same, but we are at a stage where, you know, there's trust back there, um, you know, but I did do a lot of hurt, hurt stuff. And I can't blame for people for not being how things were because I put a lot of people through hurt. You know, my sister, um, you know, she went through a lot. Um, she, she was training to buy, uh, to be a therapist um so she really tried her hardest with me and i remember one night it was a school night and uh, me and a couple of mates decided to, to you know all 
put some money in, get some ecstasy um, and do it on a school night. And then we done it half an hour later. Everyone said, I'm going home. Um, and I was like, damn, I've got to go home like this. Um, so I walked in the door and, you know, my mum knew I smoked, but she didn't allow it. Um, and I got this confidence over me when I knocked on her door and I said, it's right to have a fag in the back garden. Like, and she was like, what? Like, like, and she was like, no, of course it's not. Um, and I'm sitting there and then I wandered into my sister's room. She went, Ben, what's up? I know there's something wrong with you. And she, she gave me all this talk and everything like that. And I sat in there for a good two hours. And my mum knew something was up, but she knew that my sister had got me opened and talking. So she left it. She didn't barge in. She didn't do anything like that. But I opened up to my sister, said, look, this is what I've done. Um, and we had a good old two hour talk, bit of a cry, bit of a cuddle. And then the next day after school, my mum and sister were sitting there. And she kind of said to my sister, my sister done very well to like try and protect me. Um, she was like, mum, I'm not telling you. This is a confidential chat between me and Ben. And she went, you do know if he gets into that lifestyle that I know that he's on the path to right now and something happens to him, you could have had the chance for us to kind of intervene. Um, you know, without putting any guilt on her or anything like that, just made her realise that intervening is the best thing that we're open and honest. Um, and by the next week, we was in family counselling, um, which, which, you know, I kind of kicked my heels in. I didn't want to go. Um, said, no, it's no problem, no problem at all. Um, but she was convinced that, you know, this was the best thing. And, you know, I went I went and done it because it did get quite, but, you know, 15 years old, no one, none of my other friends were taking ecstasy. Because where I was doing the music, I was hanging out with all the older lot, 20, 25-year-olds, you know. Mm. Um, so I could be up the shops on a Friday night, 80 people up the shops, I've taken a load of ecstasy tablets. My face is all over the place. And all I remember is people walking up to me again, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm having the time of my life, but I'm just stood at a wall looking around. But yeah. to me, I was, I was having the time of my life to everyone else. I look like utter dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and they're like, how do you enjoy that looking like that? And I'm like, it's the best thing ever, but yeah. I'm glued to a wall. Can't move looking around with a lazy eye. Like one eye's down here and one eye's up there. So, you know, we started all the council and it started really well. But then, you know, at 17, <laughs> um, I put my mum through a lot and she was like, you'd probably need to go and find somewhere to go and live. Um, so I went into shared accommodation um, wow. and I really got myself back into everything quite hard again then, living on my own again. Well, I say on my own with five other blokes in a shared house. Um, you know, everyone's kind of smoking a bit, taking a bit, drinking a lot. Um, and that was kind of me getting back into that. And yeah. it, it kind of did go on from, you know, quite heavy from 18 up until 26, um, up until I decided yeah. that I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, but how yeah, did you feel? How did you feel towards your mum kind of looking back on that? Because I can completely relate and I'm sure you can now to your mum probably felt like she just she couldn't do any more. She'd probably got to the point where she'd done as much as she could and she just didn't know wh where else to turn. How do you look back on that now in terms of when she said to you, right, go and find somewhere because this isn't working. And then that ended up you going down that road for, for all those years where you had do you look back on that with any resentment or do you get it? Oh, I completely get it. Tough love. It's, you know, when when you're an addict, 
you can keep pushing. You can keep pushing, knocking on that door, um, you know, doing stuff that will make your family not trust you, put your family through utter hell. And at the time, you don't feel that you're doing any bad. And, oh, you know, I'm only coming in at three o'clock. So what if I woke you up? Um, so what if I'd done this? Like, come on, it's life, you know. At the time when I was in active addiction, I couldn't see the problem. Um, you know, and it was one night I'd come home when she had finally had enough where I was completely out of it. And I'd actually just come back from the police station because um, the pub was raided and I had cocaine on me um, and I got arrested and I come out of the police cell and went straight back to the to the pub and met my mates and got straight back on it and turned up later that day, still in all my work gear. I was labouring at this time. So I had big boots on and smelt like rubbish because it was in the summer and I'd been, you know, itching as well. So I was like insulating properties at this point. So I had all the fiberglass and I come back absolutely out of it. And I really started, I threw a glass, smashed the glass, threw a couple of tubs of gel and that across the room. And she had to ring the police on me. Um, it's the first time she had ever rung the police on me. Um, and I, so I knew it got to a point where she was serious and, yeah. you know, we kind of still spoke. She still wanted to make sure that I was OK, but I wasn't allowed around the house or anything like that. Um, but it was the tough love. And at the time I was hurt, lost, wondering why she was doing this to me when I needed her the most. And then when you go through it all and you get to the other end and you come out and you think, that woman there is bloody amazing because all through my active addiction, all I wanted back was my mum. I'm a massive mummy's boy. You know, all I wanted back was my mum. And every time I worked so hard to try and get there, I would always do something. Something would slip up. And my easy escape route was to go and buy a bag of drugs or go and buy a crate of beer. Or, or if I didn't have the money, it was finding someone that did. Um, you know, uh, texting out multiple texts to 20 people at a time. What are you up to? Fancy a beer? Um, you know, and I could come along with the three beers that I got in my fridge knowing that they'd have more up there. And if we have a few beers, someone's going to call it on. Um, so the whole time, I always had my mum in my mind. And, you know, I'd get myself straight and then I'd, I'd feel right. Now's nearly the time where I can go back to mum and say, look at me now, mum. And then something would happen, just a minor inconvenience to my life. And I was back on that bad track. And, you know, so for years and years, it was just so hard to really get that relationship back. And, you know, I spent a lot of time where it was just texting my mum, just texting. And that just wasn't good, good enough no. for me. No. Um, how did you um, how did you meet Leanne? Leanne. So Leanne actually went to school um at my school for a short period um she knew me from there she knew me from my moped and my white vest that was a bit <laughs> what, she still she still got involved <laughs> yeah she still got involved you know when I, with my white vest and my moped driving around the streets of Lord's and Walder State um but Le Leanne was in and out of foster care so she didn't last too long um right. there uh, less than a year she was at that school for. Um, yeah, she'd done a lot of moving around to different schools in her younger periods. Leanne's a sibling of five, um, and she she ended up in care while the other four didn't. Um, she took her, her nan's death quite bad. Um, and I think at the time as well, they didn't really, you know, she was diagnosed with bipolar, but now she's not 
she's off those meds and going through an assessment for autism and ADHD. So I think they kind of saw her as a problem child too much. She's going through grief. She's causing too much issues. We need some help. Social services stepped in. She was fostered all around kind of Kent and South East London. So I met Leanne through there. And then um, all of a sudden, at the age of 20, I think it was, um, she just popped up on Facebook. <laughs> it was, you know, there's no big kind of love story from it. We popped up from Facebook. We started talking. We got on really well. We actually spent like days and days where, you know, I'd, I'd be on the computer to her till four five in the morning, just chatting yeah. to her, um, you know, and then getting up two hours later, going to work. And it just got to a point where, you know, I was any spare time I had, I wanted to yeah. talk to her. I wanted to spend time with her. Um, you know, she, she was... She was doing amazing uh, stuff. You know, she was training to be a tattoo artist and it was all really different to kind of the people that I was around. And it just really, she really caught hold of me. And was it she was an kind escape? Of, she was, she was. Yeah. She, she, you know, she was kind of, I was going to see her a lot. I was out of Medway. I was away from everything. Seeing her, spending time with her, having fantastic laughs, um, you know, and there was no drink or drugs involved. And the more I was doing that, the more I was falling in love with that life with her. And the more I was kind of thinking, I don't want that anymore. Um, and after about six months, she said, look, I know it's quite soon. Um, do you want to move in? Do you want to, do you want to move in together? And I was like, heck yeah, Let, let's do this. Let's do this. And, um, you know, you know, within a couple of months, I was out of my shared accommodation and we had a flat up in Dartford. Um, you know, Leanne didn't take drugs or anything like that. She had the occasional drink um, and everything. So it, it went really well. But then but then my music really started stepping up. Um, so even though I was out the area and I wasn't concentrating on that day to day of taking stuff, um, I was still going out. And then that's when it would be like, you know, Again, I know that Leanne was only trying to look out for me, but it was like, you know, she kind of knew my set times. She knew roughly how long it took to get to places and she only wanted to look out for me and be like, right, are you coming home now? Right. Mm -hmm. And all this. But then in my mind, I've already had a couple of drinks and I'm like, no, 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 I'm out. And then before I know it, a mate would just be like, yeah, have some of this. You're stressed out. Have some of this. And I'll do that. And then I'll be like, I can't go home like this. And that's how it would turn into a two, three day thing of not going home um you know going back to a mate's house having a shower getting on a pair of his clothes and going out to the next next set and it would be three days straight that i'd be out for and hardly slept probably six hours sleep in those three days um you feel like you were living a double life in some oh, yeah. respects yeah massively massively out to my mates you know on this um you know do anything for a laugh you know don't mind if i'm risking it and the, you know risking something to get arrested because if it's making them laugh it's fine but then when i'm at home i'm i'm molded into this kind of family man that you know um that's so far away from there so as soon as i stepped out of that front door it was like i'd put on you know like my Batman suit, but an evil Batman suit. Um, you know, more like the Joker, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that actually, to yeah. be honest. Just with that um, pink suit. Yeah. So um, as soon as... <laughs> sorry, I was just gonna say about how how long from Leanne from you two moving in mm. 
and then obviously this kind of this life, this double life almost taking hold where you've got the, the music going on. But then obviously when you're with Leanne, you, you want to be with Leanne and you want to sort of show her, I guess, that that isn't you completely. But how long did that last, that double life? And, and what was it? What do you think made Leanne stay mm. and put up with it, I guess? I think with 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 Leanne, um, I think with her is that she, because she went through so much rough feeling unloved through her childhood um, and not really having anyone around her, that she was really she she wanted to be felt loved and i felt with me that i showed her showered her with affection and everything like that that it was all very much brand new and she she was like fell in love pretty quick because i showed her you know all this nice stuff and how nice people can be and we was going out for meals and you know we, we was able to do things we didn't have kids at that time that we could just randomly get up and be like should we go and do this should we go and do that and i think because of 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 the life that I was showing her, you know, my nice side of my life that I was showing her, while keeping the other side as far away from her as possible, because she had that love, she grew very attached to it. Um, and I think she put up with it for so long because, you know, I never done anything really bad to her directly, mm -hmm. but I know that indirectly what I was doing was hurting her. Um, so I think she kind of stuck around a lot because she saw the potential in me she knew that i was savvy in a lot of stuff and that you know i could potentially make a great father at one point if i was to kill this other person off um so she stuck around for a lot of time and a lot of it a lot of it was me groveling as well i won't do this again i promise you you know being a trained salesman, you kind of get the gift of the gab, um, you know. So I, I kind of manipulated situations at times as well, you know, and pulled the wall over her eyes. She didn't quite see how bad it was at times. Um, so my manipulation was quite, I want to say good, but really mm. looking at it, it's not good. Um, it was a manipulation in a very, very bad kind of way. Um, do you think she, that do you think that she was your um savior in many ways? Although it took a while. Between do you think that... her, my mum, and and finding out we was having kids, those three collectively there, mm. they were my savior. They were what that what really made me think, right, Leanne, I need to get out of this situation. I need to go to Manchester so then I can be the best son, I can be the best husband, I can be the best dad um and you know it, that was like six years in um you know yeah but about six years in from meeting at 20 to me going to manchester about five and a half six years uh from there so she stuck at it for a very long time um you know we really did go through some things um with it and she really really did stick with me so between her my mum and the kids they were my saviour. They were my my kind of goals that, you know, I was at this side of the track and my family were there. And, you know, we, we had the we, we had the uh, obstacles along the way, um, you know, but I knew that that was the end goal. That's where I wanted to be. And Manchester, I felt at the time was 
how it was going to happen. That's how I was going to get there. Um, and, you know, as I said, when I got to Manchester, everything was great. Um, but the longer I was up there and the, and the kind of buzz of a new area, a new job and new friends started to wear out and you start remembering your old friends, the ones that were good for you, the ones that you hadn't spoken to in ages from school and then family, you know, everything started to build up. And by that time, I felt I'd lost everything. And that's why I started saying from leave work, this is it. That's enough. I can't feel like this anymore. And although I knew in my head that if I do this, I'm going to cause grief, but this grief, they can deal with that and pull it to rest whereas if i'm alive they're constantly worrying about me the whole time wondering what's going to happen what if you know we're seeing ben on snapchat in a club look sounding like he's out his face what's going to happen tonight um you know so yeah that was kind of it i think that's that story of that attempted suicide that then turned into almost the enlightening moment in your life Mm. will probably resonate with a lot of people because I think mm. I think there's a lot of talk about suicide especially within social media now more than there's ever been yeah. um it's it's extremely high in men uh men of of a certain age as well mm. um and I think that story that builds up to that will resonate with a lot of people mm. um but thankfully it was unsuccessful yeah I, um, I thank the lucky stars um you know because little did i know my life was only just beginning it really was mate and and from like i said from what i know of you and and the people watching and listening to this when it you know when it breaks i think that will be a a real a moment of of shock to some people but a real moment of clarity for others where they say do you know what i've had those thoughts myself and i've been in those dark places um and sometimes it's the most unexpected things that that pull you out of it um, yeah. And sometimes it is that moment of clarity you need to to realise what you've actually got. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to kind of talk because you you are you massively champion your family, mm. not just the kids but Leanne as well. Mm. Um, and I think it, you know it says a hell of a lot about her now knowing what she went through in those first, in those early years with you two together and and how she obviously stuck by you and, and realised what you actually had and what what an incredible person you were and are despite the challenges you were going through and I think it sounds like she was the perfect match really for you because of what she'd been through in her life yeah um so then you find out about the twins yeah did you know that it was how early did you know it was twins uh so we kind of had a little bit of an inkling because we we were both working at the same place um, at this time. So I was a sales manager and she really wanted a job and we had multiple offices. And I said, look, I can get you a job, but you won't be able to work on my team. You'll have to be in a completely separate office. Um, so she she went and worked with one of the other managers in the other office and she checked like she really surprised me with it. Actually, within the first couple of weeks, she won the sales competition and won us VIP tickets to a festival. Wow. Um, top salesperson, um, you know, from going from never doing sales to going into a sales office, having a week's training and then next week, smashing everyone out of the water. So we went we went off to a festival and um, started to say, oh. I know it's probably not the right time, but I feel like I'm pregnant. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's like, right, okay, let's get through the day of the festival and have a calm day, you know, yeah. get through the festival and we'll we'll go and see what's what. So we done the tests a couple of days later and yeah, she was pregnant, went into the um went into the doctors and they kind of give us a rough early you know roughly what they think it is and this, this was kind of they, they said like eight weeks okay but within a space of a week or two leanne's stomach was really really big and we're we're at an office with 100 plus sales staff so everyone's putting on bets already yeah. straight away boy girl weights yeah. everything like that and then one of the ladies come over she went have you thought about multiple births and Liam was like no 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 and she went I think you might have twins and then someone said twins twins and it started spreading you definitely got twins you definitely got twins we was like don't jinx us like we we, <laughs> like, we, 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 we can one's enough the one I think um, <laughs> at the moment um but everyone started saying twins and then the longer it went on we thought I think this is a really strong possibility because you yeah. really look like you're nearly full term here and you're not yeah. even three months. <laughs> um, so we we booked him for one of the 3D scans uh, because I think it was it was before the three month mark and you can't have a, a, a normal scan till after the three months or something they were doing up at the hospital. So something along them lines. So we went and um, went and had the scan and it was like, is your baby? It's like, all right, excellent, perfect. And there's your other baby. And it's like, right, okay, there's definitely two in there, definitely two. And she went, but there's a third sack here. Um, and we was like, triplets? And she was like, that one's empty, though. And we are like, okay, right, okay. So it was an empty sack plus plus the twins. Um, and we come out and we both looked at each other and we was just like, twins, oh, my God. And the whole waiting room erupted. Like they, they'd seen us and how happy with it. And they was all like, yeah, twins, twins. We went back to the office. We was like, showed them the scan. We was like, it is twins. And again, the whole office just erupted again from there as well. So yeah, we, we, we found out just before the three month mark, but we did have a little bit of an inkling because of how big she was. Yeah. Obviously, the twin, how old are the twins now? They turned seven on New Year's Eve. Seven. Wow. So the same age as Josh. Mm. Um, literally, how incredible. Josh, they were born three days apart. Yeah. Because Josh was seven on yeah. on the third. Um, obviously, um, let's let's talk autism mm. because you you've been a huge advocate of that. Yeah. Um, so before we get on to Reggie and the story there, when was it that you first started to think to yourself? They're not because in my world, when we first started looking at Jake, it wasn't a case of there's something wrong with this kid. It was he's not quite doing the same things as a lot of the other kids at the playgroups and stuff. We're not quite sure that's right in the sense that he's not hitting certain markers that you expect from a child. Let's explore. Mm. Um, we certainly never looked at it as there's something wrong or mm. or, you know, what's what's wrong with this child? What was the point where you kind of spotted and and started to explore that journey in your in the twins? Well, Leon started to notice a couple of things because obviously with them having twins, it's very easy to compare about where they are and where they should mm. be. Um, mm. You know, according to 
um, you know, professionals that say this is where they need to be. This is the milestones at this side. So it's very easy for us to compare um, where the two were at. Um, and it was it was shortly after their second birthday that Leanne started saying, I think we might need to go and, you know, get them to have a chat with Henry. Well, I say chat, he can talk at that time. Get get them in, get Henry in a room and assess him because I think there could be something there. Um, and she said, I strongly believe autism. Straight away she was, um, you know, because he was doing this thing where he rocks. And I know mm. a lot, you know, people say, oh, all children rock. Yes, they do. But there's a kind of um, a repetitiveness about it. And there's a certain way that he rocks as well. It's very structured rock. And he would only go down a certain way and go back a certain way. And it was very like to the point like that. It wasn't just like a dancing rock or anything like that. It was more of a structured rock, spinning things. Everything was spinning. So the washing machine, things like that. And also every door, or gate had to be closed. So if we're walking up the roads and someone's gate on their front on at front of their house was open, we'd have to wait until he'd closed it. So there was wow. all this sort of stuff that, yeah, you know, some other children do do, but it was more of the repetitiveness mm. of it and having to have it done. And if it wasn't being done, then you know, at that stage, I wouldn't really class it as a meltdown, you know, um, but you could see kind of his eyes would kind of go and he'd be looking around a bit more and you'd kind of see a bit more of a mist come over him and a bit more aggression in him. Um, also, you know, he was very, he wasn't answering his name or anything like that. There was no eye contact with him, but his eyes would go kind of, they, they would yeah. make most like that either side of you so we wouldn't have to look directly at you it'd look either side of you so <clears throat> i was pretty much in denial for the first four to six months no 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 he's absolutely fine right everything's okay um you know he'll catch up um everyone's already al always said that twins are going to develop at different stages went, yeah but i think that the the gap is a little bit far um, from where they're at in milestone-wise, and I really want to get him checked out. And I was like, no, 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 everything's fine. And then um, and then I watched him a lot more closely over the mm. next couple of months. And it all started to slowly make sense. Mm. And um, I kind of went to Leanne and I said, Leanne, you're completely right. I think there could be something worth looking into here. Um, and kind of said, I should have just listened to you. And she went, it, it, it is what it is. You're a dad. I'm a mum. We have two different ways. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes you're right. Not that she'd like to admit it um, anytime that I'm yeah. right, but that sometimes you are, sometimes I am. So she went, we're parents, you know, we're yeah. two completely different people that have different ways of looking at things. So we're both going to spot different things in life along the way. So we went on the assessments and he he was really assessed and diagnosed pretty quickly. Mm. Um, it didn't take them take them very long. Was that NHS? Yeah, yeah, that was NHS. Because I think quick. people, I guess people listening to that now, sort of four, four and a half years on from, from that, because mm. now the, the process is crazy. It's ridiculously long. There's not enough people to do anything. I mean, our experience was private. At first, and it was about the same age, actually, around two, two and a yep. half. We started seeing the very similar to what you saw in terms of the the repetition of some of the movements and 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 that <clears throat> the lack of speech 
although that's completely different now because you can't shut him up. Um, <laughs> it, it soon changes. Yeah. Uh, although now he just says things that are really inappropriate. Mm. Um, but we did go NHS because you have to to be officially diagnosed. Yeah. But it was for us. It was still a long process, even with that private. So I think you got for some. Maybe it was a different in area. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe well, the this, area. This was this was down in Margate. Yeah. Um, and from start to finish, I think five months. Wow. From the first appointment, which we got very quickly because mm. the, we got the nursery, the nursery also, when we went and spoke to the nursery, they said, yeah, we can do the referral for you as well. Mm. Um, so I think with it coming straight direct from the nursery, um, you know, it was kind of dealt with pretty quickly and we got an appointment very quick. And I think he had like four assessments over each month um one each month leading up and then they said yeah yeah definitely um so let, let's start putting plans into place and help you with how you can help him um you and know. how did it help you how did how did knowing change the way that you you did things with henry well because i knew and i had that diagnosis um that's when i was like i need to know how to help him um, that's when the Googles come up. That's when I started reading papers and everything like that. You know, any any bit of information I could get from anywhere, whether it was a library, whether it was Googling, whether it was going onto YouTube, um, it was like, I need to do this to make sure that I know how to handle my son, that I know what I need to be doing because I didn't know all about this strict routine and and things like that and what could happen in a meltdown and everything like that I didn't know any of any of that sort of stuff you know or having things in certain places you know he, he could you know line stuff up and I'd want my house tidy so I'd just go and get it all done like and then <laughs> I know it, it's like it's it's gone absolutely crazy in my house yeah. it's gone zero to a hundred yeah no time at all yeah. and you know it's little things like that that you read about that you, you start to think that you start becoming more mindful um and you start to not not care about the state of your house but you, you you're not so like that needs to be cleaned up that needs yeah. to be done you know you, you're yeah. like right okay that that that's what he's done that you know I can live with that. I can live with having the stuff around there lined up and, and things like mm, that. Mm. Um, As parents, what's been the toughest part for you and Leanne kind of living with that over the last four or five years for, for you as, as parents? I think, I think at the beginning when there was hardly any sleep at all or anything like that I think that was probably our toughest stage of both living on hardly any sleep you know being up playing toys scale electrics lego at three o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning both absolutely knackered mm. trying to work our usual days while being so worried about Henry because he he couldn't speak yeah. you know we it, it, it was a very tough decision for Leanne to let go and let him go into nursery because he couldn't communicate himself. What eased her a little bit more is that this nursery was very well, highly recommended to deal with children with autism. Plus, he had his sister with him who knew everything. You know, all his signs, all his mumbles and everything like that. She knew what he was saying. She was his interpreter. 
You know, he she would tell them what he wants when he wants it. Mm. So the whole non-communication stage and not being able to sleep were really the toughest. He couldn't really tell us all the time what was up with him, what was driving him mad. You know, sometimes we'd have inklings and we'd be able to help him so then we could ease that stress, we could ease everything for him. But the whole part when he didn't speak and he wasn't sleeping was really, really the toughest. Yeah. Because you just don't know how he's feeling, mm. uh, you know, and he can't communicate to tell you. Mm. Plus, you're living on no sleep at all. Um, it was That was the toughest period for us, yeah. I think. Yeah, that does sound tough. I, I must admit, and, and every child is different. Um, and and we would have had different challenges to to yourself and then the next person with uh, an autistic child um reggie yep i think everyone that i know that also knows you certainly through linkedin because obviously linkedin is still very much my my place yeah um it's where the business is is operated from and and but You've obviously explored TikTok pretty much from the early, very early days of Reggie being born. Yeah. Reggie, born with Down syndrome. Um, but what a story you've created around this this young man. Because and and what and what I do see of him, he's such a character. Mm. Uh he's an adorable character. And I think people that watch your journey with him love seeing how he he's progressing and and it's not been it's not been all plain sailing by a long stretch for you. Yeah. No. Um and I don't just mean that as in the challenges that Reggie's faced that you as parents have to combat and and help him and help him navigate but also in some of the ways that people have um approached you and, and some of the comments you've received and all that sort of stuff which i know you talk about on on social media so give us a little bit about reggie the, the birth when you found out what those initial feelings were i guess and, and then how you've kind of navigated that since yeah so um so yeah we, we found out leanne was pregnant um pretty almost straight away this is when covid all started to happen um and everything like that so the first scan i actually got to go to which was fantastic great feeling when you're going in there and seeing your baby on the screen um and then from there all the lockdowns started to happen so what meant is that it was only one person allowed in the hospital at the time um so leanne was going in there doing the scans and they were telling her from very early on that she's very high risk chance that she can't carry full term or chance that if she was to go full term that she could put herself in danger um, so she was on all sorts of kind of steroid injections, blood thinners to stop clotting. Um, and they started picking up some signs like his legs um, were measuring up small, um, you know, and he was measuring up small as a whole in there. But his legs especially were really small. Um, but they never really put it down to Down syndrome. So we'd done the screening. They come down a very, very low chance that he would have DS. So they said, look, the screening come back all right. So, you know, and we kind of put it down. I'm short, Leanne's short. Hmm. 
um, you know, maybe we're just going to have another short baby, um, you know, and he, maybe he'll he'll get his growth spurt when when he comes. Um, so no one really kind of put all the signs together or anything. So, you know, but me and Leanne had always discussed through the twins, through Reggie, because she'd always get nervous but want to do the Down syndrome screening. And her big reason was is she wanted to be prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't want to have that surprise mm-hmm. and not know anything mm-hmm. you know if there was anything from you know any kind of disability that they can detect from in the womb mm-hmm. she'd want to know about um so then we could start the research early we could make sure that we had the stuff at home sorry it come it come down um that that she was very low risk um so we carried on but she was coming out with a lot of information coming out in tears all the time every time that she was seeing a different midwife or something like that um the the person that does the scan sorry um she was coming out in tears but i couldn't be in there leanne struggles with taking all the information in and then relaying it out so everything that they was giving to her she was just taking all the danger words um and everything was just a big muddle in her head and she would come out in tears all the time so we had a lot of trouble with kind of some of the doctors and everything and as we went on um you know it was decided that you know after reggie we wouldn't be having any more kids so i looked into kind of having a vasectomy and she said look i'm having a planned cesarean why they've got me open it makes sense for me to do my tubes. I, I'm adamant I don't want any more kids. Right. So she she said, instead of us having two separate operations, I'll get clipped and tied. Um, and we, we took a little while to really kind of, is this something you're sure you want to do? Um, and she said, yeah, 100%. And there was nothing stopping her. Well, on the day when the plant cesarean come around, we had the surgeon come over and he said, oh, so... Um, we're we're going to give you a a hysterectomy and take your whole womb out um said this wasn't in the plan it's just clipped and tied he said no no the best thing to do is take the whole womb out and panic mode started Mm. quickly like no 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 we want a second opinion so we we got another surgeon to come in they said i don't know why they've told you that um that shouldn't be the case we Mm. can do the clip and tie there was no need for the hysterectomy Mm. um is it called a hysterectomy? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Right. Okay. It's kept yeah. in my head in the right words. I have so many kind of, you know, kind of professional words yeah. that go in my head that I, I, I sometimes get them jumped, jumped up. So anyway, <laughs> back to the story. So, yeah. So we ended up going with the second surgeon in the end um, and going through and having it all. Um, and as and, and Leanne kept saying before, I'm, I'm having these visions that I'm not going to make it. So if I don't tell everyone I love them, and this was just so kind of like nerve wracking for me, mm-hmm. uh, because when Leanne has a feeling, she's a bit like Phoebe or friends, when she has a feeling, it's pretty much right, <laughs> even though it's quite wild. Um, so although there was joy that was bringing a baby, there was a lot of worry there as well. So we had Reggie come, got him out, heard him cry fantastic he's over there getting his observations i've cut the umbilical um fantastic stuff and then all of a sudden we can hear them rustling about there's blood we don't know where it's coming from leanne starts getting feeling back in she can feel it she's in pain they're panicking can't find the blood i'm holding reggie at this point because she's like show me my boy show me my Mm. boy Mm. so i took him over to her 
and I'd never seen the fear in her eyes like I'd seen mm. that that day. Mm. And it, I, it lives with it will live with me mm. forever. And they said we've got to get you two out of the room. So me and Reggie went out into the other room. They put her under, and it was just like the whole way I was stepping backwards, mm. eye contact with her the whole mm. time. Mm. Uh, mm. And that that was that was very tough. I can mm. feel feel myself mm. going here a bit. Mm. That was very tough being in that room with just me and Reggie, a newborn, thinking what what if she mm. doesn't make it through? Because that's scary. Just having children is scary enough. Yeah. When they come, let alone yeah. adding that into the mix as well. Yeah. All things going through my head like I'm going to be a single dad. Yeah. Leah, not going to be here. She's she's not going to help me through everything. You know, she's been my absolute rock and. Now I'm here alone. Um, and it was about an hour later that we had someone come out of the room. I said, look, everything's fine. She's good. Mm. She, We're wheeling her back in. She's absolutely fine. We've been able to sort everything out. So she's come back in. So I'm all excited again. And I've got Reggie ready in my hands for when she wakes up. And um, and then the nurse comes in, she went, look, can I quickly do some observations for you? We've done the ones after birth, but now we do the proper observations where we check other bits as well. Um, so I said, yeah, absolutely fine. Put them on the table. So she's checking through and everything. And then I can hear Leanne start to wake up. Mm-hmm. So I've quickly gone and made a coffee. I know that's what she'd want straight away. Um, <laughs> she'd want a coffee. So I made sure that when her eyes were open, that coffee was coming to her. She's sitting there with a coffee and we turn around and we and she's like, can I see him? And she's like, just a minute. <coughs> and Leanne's like, I want to see my baby. Come on, hurry up. I want to hold him. Like still really slurred and everything. Um, and then they turn around and she said that he has some features of those of a kid with Down syndrome. And Leanne kind of burst into tears. She's not fully with it. She doesn't really know 100% what is going on, but she hears Down syndrome. She hears features and she's like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. like suddenly everything's turned upside down on its head for yeah. her. Um, so me with my calm inside, what I'm like is that I'm not really a panicker or a worrier until it's there, until I know for certain, you know, with the autism thing. I was the same, you know, I don't get nervous about anything, a big event or anything until the day of it, um, you know, and it was the same with this is that I had to really be the more calming person in this and be like, you know, if he is, we've already spoke about this. Mm-hmm. If he is, there is no issue. We will deal with it as a family like we've dealt with everything else, you know, and if he is, we're going to get the help that we need and we're going to give him the best life possible. Um, and it was very very tough for her really going from mm. not thinking that you're going to have a child with down syndrome to suddenly yeah. have a child with down syndrome um so reggie ended up in skaboo um the special care unit over at the hospital when leanne was on the maternity ward and we was like allowed in and out and at this time now we were allowed two in the room at special occasions um and i was allowed to be at leanne's bedside as well so we what we wasn't allowed is both in the skaboo unit so it was kind of one go in our way outside in hospital somewhere and we'd do changes so we're a couple of days in and reggie hasn't pooed or anything like that and he's not really moving much mm. no the odds kind of head twitch he started to go really weird kind of grayish color mm. 
Um, and Leanne's like, there's something wrong with my baby. Um, can someone please do some checks? Can please someone check him out? No, no, he's absolutely fine. He'll poo when he's ready. And time going on, Leanne's getting more anxious about it. Leanne hasn't slept in a couple of days by this time because no one's actually listening to her or myself. Mm. Mm. Oh, all his levels are all right. He's absolutely fine, you know. Um, so it's got to two days. Leanne's got no sleep and she's gone in there. She went, I've had enough. Right. Someone check my baby out. He's five days in. He hasn't pooped. What the hell are you doing here if mm. you're not looking after my baby that's in a special care unit? So she got a bit irate with them. So what they decided to do then was ring the psychiatric ward and say that she's, I think you need to assess her and have a look at taking her on to the psychiatric ward um, from here. All right. OK. Absolutely unbelievable. So they've come down to her bedside in the maternity ward, had a chat with her. No, all she needs right now is sleep and closure. That's the only two things she needs. She's not off on one. She's not, you know, because at that time she had the bi yeah, bipolar. Yeah, yeah, Right? So they obviously know about that. So they're trying to use that mm. to their advantage in some sort of way to get her mm. off their back, which was a, a really crappy move. Um, so, yeah, they gave her a couple of sleeping tablets. They said, look, you do need to get some sleep in order to think straight and be the best mum you can for your kids, and you just had a traumatic C-section, mm. you need to get some sleep. Okay, so she's had a couple of tablets, had a bit of sleep, and the next day went in there and she went, Ben, there's a new nurse in there, there's a new nurse in there, you need to go and chat with them. So I went and had a chat with her and I said, look, we haven't met each other, please, our baby's been there, hasn't pooed, he's looking like that, you know, mum's going sick with worry can you do something she went i'm gonna scan his stomach for you within an hour she's called me back in and she's got his stomach scans up on there and she's like look look at all these white bits okay that's a mixture of the you know that's all of his his kind of waste in there mm. and loads of air pockets here she went this shouldn't be here okay um this is quite serious at this stage and before you know it that day they're blue lighting mm. up to up to St. Thomas's, Evelina. And me and Leanne, none of us were allowed to travel in, in the ambulance. So right. we're at QEQM in Margate. They're taking our baby up to London. And we're like, oh my God, I hadn't long been made redundant um, from my job um, as well, like two months before. Um, so financially, we was like, not literally, but pulling my hair out, um, you know, and... How are we going to do this? Like, what is going to go on? And I think that's when I messaged into the group and just said, I need someone to talk to. And all of everyone from the Respect Mental Health, mm. um, everyone from the Respect Mental Health group straight away were just like, I'm calling you, I'm ringing you, um, you know, and everyone was great. They they all jumped on board and made me feel feel at mm. ease. Um, so, yeah, by that time, Reggie's up in up in hospital. Um, and then lovely lady that I'm sure you know, um, Rebecca Pay mm. uh, um, and Hayley Hudson, they mm. come together and they, they said, look, because I've been doing a lot with the mental health stuff at that point. Um, that's really what kept me going through lockdown, really, is really mm. pump, stepping up the gears with respect mm. mental health. And they said, look, you've done a lot over the last couple of years or year and a half, however long it was. Can we do something for you? And I was like, kind of, what, what do you have in mind? 
they said, well, we want to set up a fundraiser. And for me, straight away, I was like, no, no, mm. no. Um, and, she, and Rebecca said to me, she went, Ben, look, you know, whether it's an ego thing or whatever it is, you know, you need to drop that and think about all of your family right here and not about yourself and how you feel about accepting money. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, do you know what? I do still have rent. I do still have the kids. We're going to have to go to London. London is not a cheap place. Mm. Um, you know, and we're going to have to find childcare for the kids while we're there mm. as well. Mm. So, you know, I took a few hours and I got back to Rebecca and I said, look, if the office is still there, I would like to be able to, you know, kind of see what we can do. So then at least I can be away and make sure that my house is running and we don't mm. have to worry about any booze. We didn't know how long we was going to be there. So Rebecca's done all that and raised an amazing amount. It was I like, remember. I'm sure it was like nearly three grand or mm. just over three grand, something like that. So we paid rent for six months straight away. Um, we paid our rent straight away. We went up there with literally nothing. So we literally had to go and get, go to the Primark, you know, a couple of pound t-shirts and this mm. and that stuff to keep us going. Microwave meals, pot noodles, things like that to get stopped. So we've done all that. So while, while we're up in London, again, I'm in the hospital and Leanne's in the hotel and then we're switching over, mm. you know, and hardly even seeing each other, just giving mm. quick updates to what the hospital would told us and then switching over. Mm. Um, mm. And then they said to us, they said, look, so we've done tests already. We've done a biopsy. Um, we know why he's not pooing. He's got something called Hirschsprung's disease. Mm. So Hirschsprung's disease is a very rare disease, but more common in those with Down syndrome. But even those without Down syndrome can still have it, but it is more common for those mm. with. Mm. Um, so what that means is that your large intestines has a load of ganglion cells that pushes all your waste out all the way along. Um, until it comes out reggie's had a lot that wasn't working so all the poop was getting stuck in certain channels of his large intestines so they explained to us there's a couple of options stoma either a permanent stoma bag a temporary one until we can um, do an operation on him or we could do an operation that could all be successful so they said we still need to assess really of what option we can really take with him um and then it come after a couple of weeks it was decided that it's going to do something called pull through surgery mm-hmm. uh basically what they've done at eight months old is cut him from hip to hip took his intestines out cut out the bits that didn't work and sew it all together so you he had one working large intestine mm-hmm. uh, but we we didn't have the stoma either so what we had to do for the first eight months was help him go for a bit yeah so we was receiving massive boxes every month of all this medical equipment. We was trained in it. We'd have like a, a, a 30 centimetre catheter where we'd have to put that all the way up his bum, pump saline into his into his rectum, take off the syringe, and then all of his waste would drain out through this tube, um, you know, which was another experience, you mm-hmm. know, from, right, OK, we're having to deal with the whole Down syndrome thing. But now I'm having to stick my finger in my boy's bum and stick yeah. a pipe there. Mm. Um, this is a very weird, strange, mm. that affected us, that, you know, scenario that really affected us. Not just, not just because it was different, but because it was like, you know, I'm actually having to put a whole yeah. finger in my boy's bum. Like, yeah. 
it was such a hard thing to do. Yeah. And he's in pain sometimes if mm. he had to, you know, because he's always going to get bad constipation through mm. his life. Mm. And you could literally see the lumps and where mm. it was and you trying to push it out a little bit for him and massage it. Mm. And, you know, if he was getting constipated, you really having to stick your finger up there. And mm. it was just a whole weird experience. And it really did take its mm. toll on us a little bit. And through the whole eight months, I was just like, I can't wait to change a dirty nappy. I really can't. <laughs> you're gonna regret and you're gonna regret saying it. And I still don't now. I still don't regret saying it, you know, because I would rather be changing his nappy then sticking fingers up bums and catheters mm. bringing it out not only that sometimes he was a bit of a squirter and when you've got white walls it doesn't go down very well <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well know, it kind of does go down quite well just well, rolls yeah, down yeah but um, that's it. i'd be in like full plastic medical gear sprayed all up me so yeah that that was a that was kind of the more dirtier bit of it of that side <laughs> It was quite early because I'm conscious on time because I know you've you've got calls and this has already been our, our longest podcast to date because I think and I knew it would be because yep. there was such a story to tell. Yeah. But I want to kind of finish on because I followed you on on TikTok when you started documenting Reggie's journey. And I yep. think you, you took to that quite early, didn't you? Because mm. because I think you were learning all the time. And you kind of wanted to pass those experiences on to people that might be in a similar boat that really don't know how to navigate it. And I think because of your natural personality and your natural character, you'd already done it on LinkedIn and yeah. you've been a success on there. You felt like you could take that to the next level and, and move it to that platform. Yeah, um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your experience on TikTok, because you've built an incredible following based on this story around Reggie. Yeah. What's been your experience of that and, and what made you do it? Yeah, well, TikTok, I started out on TikTok just doing some like funny little videos, yeah. trying to make people laugh as 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 I was at that time, trying to put a bit of comedy into stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't really taking off or anything like that. And when I was in the hospital on his bedside, I had done a video about when they was finally releasing Reggie from hospital. And I was like, they're letting him home. They're letting my boy go home. And there was a couple of tears. And that's when I had my first ever post that had absolutely blown up. And I had so many people reach out on that post. I've got a child with Down syndrome. I've got a child with Hirschsprung's disease. If you ever need any advice, anything like that. And I'm telling you now, it was in the hundreds of people commenting saying connect with me so that kind of started me to connect with everyone i started to see their journeys and how things were going and i thought do you know what i want to use my experience to help others like i have done in autism for any new parents that are coming through i want to show them my journey so then they can have an inkling of what to expect and not just the great parts of down syndrome or autism i want to share the difficult bits as well because it's not all, you know, everyone says, oh, Down syndrome, they're so happy. Yes, they are. You know, the kids with Down syndrome, adults with Down syndrome, they are happy. They're as happy as anyone else, but they are also aggressive. Um, they can also have meltdowns and turns as well, like any other person in this world. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't painting the perfect picture um, and that I was documented. And the more it went on, it just absolutely snowballed, mm. um, you know. And with that, you know, 97% of the people are fantastic, mm -hmm. but you do get 3%. You do that 3% <laughs> there, you know, 
absolute assholes at time. You know, some of it's down to ignorance and them not knowing anything about it. So they they would base what my children do on their own life and be like, oh, that's stupid. What the hell are they doing? Without actually knowing their reasons for why they're doing it. Um, so some of it's down to ignorance. Um, and again, that's that's that always steps it up a gear for me as to why I should be raising awareness for the people that don't know. And I always kind of take ignorance in two different ways. Some ways, sometimes it's just completely over the top and nastiness that comes with their ignorance. Or it's just ignorance where you can really find a teachable moment for that person. So you always have two different ends of it. Um, you know, so I use try and use any negative thing to put a positive spin on it and continue over these last two years it's gone absolutely mental so what i then started doing quite quickly is integrating my autism side to it as well um so then i could spread mm. awareness on both things mm. uh, it did really start out with just the down syndrome that's where it took off and again it that all took off and grabbed a load of followers again but also opened me up to with a lot of other people that are maybe a little bit behind in the journey or a little bit ahead or they're right ahead with adults mm, um mm. you know adults with autism and also you know uh, you know parents and everything like that so <laughs> i i love i love tiktok yeah. i absolutely love it you know being on video is my kind of thing i absolutely love video because i think that's where i still get my my buzz of attention from mm. like going back it used to be on stage it used to be trying to impress everyone now my thing is being on video and doing this sort of stuff that's that's kind of the the, the stage for me right now yeah and i love all the video whether it's a jokey thing whether it's a serious post or whether it's a heartbreaking thing to tell people about mm. um but yeah tiktok has just grown and continue to grow um yeah and i absolutely love it it's come with some consequences as in terms of I can't control all of my social medias at mm. a speed and rate that I was because I was very, very active on LinkedIn. Last year, I dropped off a little bit because I had to set up a new business. I dropped off Respect Mental Health because of the new business and I had a lot going on with the kids. So and also I set up a new Facebook. I didn't have Facebook for eight years. And then I thought, you know what, Facebook's going to be great for the line of work that I'm in. Um, I need a Facebook for local contacts. Um, so I set up a Facebook, which means that that really takes up a lot of my time. I say time, my spare time that mm. I have, you know, because it, it goes, you know, I work from home, so I have a mix between the kids and work. And then after that, if I've got spare time, I'll make a bit of content. Mm. Um, but the time that I have content for has really been pushed more towards those social media platforms. Yeah. I am relaunching in March um, with a suicide prevention campaign. Um, we've done the fundraiser. We've got enough money for that now. Um, so we're relaunching with that, a new logo and a fundraiser that I'll be doing uh, in March. So my LinkedIn activity will be coming a lot more thicker this year. I was yeah. going to say next year, but we are in January. Um, so it's going to be coming on a lot more thicker because I think I built myself over the last two years on Respect Mental Health on LinkedIn and a lot of people knew me for that because before that it was a construction magazine. And yeah, I had a great following um, on there for that as well. But when I introduced Respect Mental Health, a lot of stuff started clicking. So when I decided to drop out Respect Mental Health a little bit, I kind of lost or didn't feel that I had enough worth 
to give to LinkedIn. Mm. So it kind of dropped off, you know, and with selling houses, LinkedIn's more of a tougher one for that. Facebook yeah. is the best one to go. It's not that saying that an estate agent couldn't sell off LinkedIn. They definitely can. Mm. Um, I see it happening. It's just I don't have the time right now until I've got all these other plates spinning. Mm. Um, but TikTok's really the big fun mm. one for me that I yeah. really enjoy doing. But as I said, I do get some nasty comments. So I get them along the way. We was actually in the Sun newspaper last year um, because of the way that I kind of dealt with these horrible people, you know, telling me I shouldn't have any more kids if they keep coming out disabled. Yeah. Um, one of them, and this isn't a term that I like using or anything, but I will say it because that's how it you said to me is that stop having kids if they're all spastics, mm. uh, you know, and some of them, mm. I used them as teachable moments. Some of them I ignored. Some of them I would reply and just turn it around to show them how stupid their comment actually is. Yeah. And, a kind of independent writer picked it up, got in contact with me. They actually added me on TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, and looked at all my socials for a good couple of weeks before contacting me. Uh, and then he said, look, I don't directly work for this, uh, for newspapers, but we do a lot of writing and put stories out. And a couple of new papers uh, picked it up. Um, and yeah, we was in the Sun newspaper. Um, I think they, I think they, called me the superhero dad dealing with trolls or something like that <laughs> but i found that as an opportunity to make more content and yeah. when my son's superhero outfit on um and put the picture up there saying superhero dad and i come into the picture as a superhero <laughs> <laughs> dressed up so you know everything's as you know as well i've seen you talk about it recently a lot of things are yeah can be into content you know yeah. you can grab inspiration for content from anywhere you can you can mate uh, yeah you absolutely can and i think that's a, a fantastic way to end ben this you are to me mate you're you're a huge inspiration more so i think even now that we've had this more in-depth conversation more more deep than we've ever gone in our previous mm -hmm. conversations i think yep. a lot of people will find this hugely inspiring but also hugely enlightening as well I think what you're doing with Reggie, particularly on TikTok and sharing that message is fantastic. I can only dream of being able to grow TikTok the way you've grown it. But as you've just said, it's very difficult to try and grow two different accounts and give everything to, to two or three accounts. In fact, it's impossible with a young family. So I think what you're doing is is phenomenal. Um, and I think you're going down the right channel with TikTok because I think it suits your style. You're right. You are yeah. natural in front of camera. Um, thank you very much for giving up your time. I know you're now a busy man that's got to go and jump on something else. Yep, yep. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I'll let you know when it's live and edited and, and final edition. I look forward to it. And, you know, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it, 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 you know, we, we've spoke about it a while, so it was great that we could get Christmas out of the way, get myself on here. So being a, really appreciated for doing that. And, yeah, as I said, this is probably the deepest I've gone into my life before the kids as well on any sort of podcast and that. But, um, you know, I think because we have that relationship already, I was comfortable to do that with you, Andy. Absolutely, uh, mate. Thank you very much. No, you're welcome.